A woman caught in the act of adultery meets the one who can provide her with restoration and healing. Next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. get back into our study of John today on Abounding Grace and about to spotlight the forgiveness of Jesus. Our teacher is Pastor Ed Taylor. In John chapter 8, we find Jesus displaying the tender mercies of God to a young woman caught in a very embarrassing sin that could cost her her very own life. She was brought before Jesus by the Pharisees who had a wrong view of authority, of the scriptures, and especially of people. Here's Pastor Ed with part one of Don't Commit Adultery. John's Gospel, chapter 8. John's Gospel, chapter 8. It's a familiar passage of Scripture where you'll recall the woman that is caught in the midst, in the very act of adultery, is thrust into the public square there in the temple area while Jesus is teaching. And the Bible is very clear about this particular scenario. It couldn't be clearer. The Bible is clear that she was caught in the very act. Now think about that for a second. Have you ever been caught in the very act of a sin or doing something wrong? I mean, in the very act. You didn't even get to finish it or complete it. You were caught in the very act. Now, if you weren't a a criminal or you're not a criminal or you didn't live a life like I did before I got saved where I was just out causing havoc, then most people answer that question, no, I really never have been caught in the middle of anything doing anything wrong because I I really don't live my life like that. And I respect that. That's great. I'm glad. I'm glad you avoided all that. So I I started thinking, okay, well then what would really apply to us? What could really apply that you can get a sense of how this woman felt in her situation? And so I thought, have you ever been caught saying something really dumb? Yes or no? So that, that's a little more of across the board where I don't mean just you got caught after the fact, but while you're in the middle of it, you're just like, no, no, I shouldn't have said that. Or they said, no, no, just don't even finish your sentence. I, just caught in the middle. Wow, how embarrassing it can be, how uncomfortable and awkward it is. I mean, if you look at our society today with cameras catching our every single move, it's not hard anymore to catch a, a thief. It's not as hard anymore to catch a carjacker or a red light speeder now and then. How do you get caught speeding through a red light? Three weeks later, you get a letter in the mail, and the picture was taken of you, and this is what it looks like. (laughs) You know, Denver is really sneaky. Have you guys been through Denver lately? They're very sneaky. Now, I am normally, generally, not a speeder. I'm not interested. I I leave early. I plan ahead. I'm in no hurry. So much of my life is so active, I'm in no hurry when I'm driving. Just take my time. And, and of course, Marie and I are very opposite of one another. And when I drive her car, somehow it just automatically speeds. It just goes (laughs) automatically 
she has a newer car and it's all electronic and you know it's it is it if you don't watch yourself in her car you'll go faster than you really need to it's just the way it is so i was turning off you know i don't know where i was over by the laser tag place in that area over there and that part of denver and i was driving by and something weird caught my eye it was a van parked in the median have you guys seen that yet it was parked right there in the median and as i'm coming up i'm like oh it had a camera in it and it said something like code enforcement or whatever and it was one of those red light you can't just park a van in the median that's not fair (laughs) and so i'm like I, i look at the van you know one of those moments i look at the van i look at my and i was speeding and i'm like that's not fair i just felt it's not fair it's not fair don't don't even send me the ticket it's not fair you can't catch me like that you got to catch me the right way. Like, that's just not fair. You can't just park vans in the middle of the median, hiding it with a bush, and it's just not fair. So, you know what? Even if they send me the ticket, I changed my address, man. I'm not, I don't... This, whoever gets it, they can get it. But caught in the very act, you know? It seems like even in our news broadcasts, it's not unusual, is it, to see one of those grainy pictures of someone that's committed a crime and... And it's, it's not completely clear, but it's clear enough that if you knew the person, you would call. And the, and the police are saying, hey, help us, because we caught this guy. We just haven't caught him yet. You know, we caught him, but we haven't caught him yet. Now, today in our text, today in our text, we meet a woman. We have a true story of a woman who was caught in the midst of an adulterous sexual act, in the very midst of it. Not just a woman, but there's a man as well, a hypocritical, sinful man. And yet, because of the Mosaic law, she could have, and she should have, been put to death by stoning because of this sin. And yet, what could have been the worst day of her life turns out to be the best day of her life because they brought her to Jesus. They took her and set her up and misused her and abused her and then brought her and thrust her into the presence of Jesus and the people that he was teaching And the worst day, what could have been the worst day, turns out to be the best day. And for Jesus, we're very grateful how he can take our worst days and make them the best days of our lives. Now, there is a a fullness of section of Scripture here that we're not going to cover today. We'll cover that in another Bible study. Because today, I'd like to go through the introductory verses of this section and then finish our Bible study on the topic of adultery. I don't think we can just skip over it without speaking to it very directly. For us as a church, for those that are connected with us as a church on television or on radio or on the internet, a warning, a warning for some of you today that are considering adultery, a warning, a very strong warning. And also a reminder for some of you today that if adultery is a part of your past, that in Christ there's forgiveness and restoration and healing. And so we're going to spend our time on the first couple verses, and then we're going to finish our time together on this topic of adultery. This will be one of those Bible studies that is sterner and stronger than others. It will be one that I believe is important to take to heart. So please prepare yourself in in order to receive the truths from God's Word today. John chapter 8, verse 1, opens up with the word, but. Notice it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives... But early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. A little awkward sentence structure, don't you notice? Two sentences in a row with the word but. We normally don't talk that way. But is usually a contrasting word that we use once, not twice in a row. However, this is a great time to be reminded that when they put in the chapter breaks, those are not inspired of God. The, The Greek text would read straight through with no punctuation and no breaks. 
And I believe this is one of those occasions where they put the chapter break in the wrong place. They should have put the chapter break after chapter 7, verse 52, and before verse 53. Because if you read verse 53 in chapter 7, everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. That makes a lot more sense. Everybody's going home after that long time of ministry in chapter 7. But Jesus, he didn't go home. He went over to the Mount of Olives for some time alone. He went away. And I believe for at least two primary reasons. Number one, we know he didn't have a home to go to. Jesus was a homeless, itinerant preacher of the gospel. He didn't have a home to go to. So while everyone's going home after the day and processing and finishing the day at home, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And I believe, secondly, for a time that he has a pattern, a time of spending time with the Father in prayer and, and, and waiting on him and getting direction for the next day. I mean, picture the scene. You have Jesus over on the Mount of Olives, the Savior of the world, God in human flesh, huddled perhaps under an old olive tree, sleeping alone on a cold October night. One, because he didn't have a home, and two, just giving us an example to follow. That it's important from time to time for us to get alone, for us to get away, just time with the Father, just time alone with him. I mentioned earlier with our young people out at the winter camp today, one of the things I brought up to them is the intrusiveness of technology in their life. They may not notice it as much as you and I may notice it because they've grown up with it. This is all they know. If, so I, I shared with them the dangers of Facebook. I shared with them the, the dangers of Instagram and Twitter. Dangers in the way of just in the very base level of wasting time. And, and how easily, how easy Facebook and Twitter, they've been doing studies on this, how easy it is for Facebook and Twitter to really bum you out because you're going through it. It just seems like everybody has a better life than you. I mean, there they are. They take a selfie. They take their phone and take a selfie. Ah, oh, it's me and my dog. Look at my brand new dog. And then you look at your dog with three legs and one eye. <laughs> and you're like, oh, man, that's wrong. And you didn't want to feel that way. You want to be happy they got a new dog, but there yours is. And, the, you know, it's just like so discouraging. And, and I, I, I talked to them uh, about how, how careful they need to be, of course, of all the other things like pornography. And uh, that's a given. But just the reality of technology and the, the lack of privacy and how you think everybody cares that you got a new dog or whatever it might be. Just like that, that narcissistic feeding system that we live in. It's not just the kids. We live in it as well. So I, when I was teaching that message, I mean, if you think, if I taught that message, you know, 10 years ago, it, Facebook, Instagram, none of that would even matter. Phones in your pocket that are computers, that wouldn't even matter. I would have had to say, hey, be careful, everybody, when you go on AOL. You know, it's like, that, that's what it was just 10 years ago. Just 10 years ago. While the temptations and the issues are the same, the way they're being delivered, the intrusiveness on our lives. Listen, this is not just for young people. There are times you just need to unplug. You need to turn your phone off and unplug out of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and blogging and whatever else you're doing with your time that you and I have the freedom to do. And I'm not talking about posting on Facebook that you're not going to be on Facebook. That doesn't make any sense to me. Just disappear for a while. Just take some time alone. Jesus went to the Mount of All. Everybody went home. They, you could say this. They all went on with their life. And so did Jesus, connecting with the Father. That was his primary thing. And I think that's an example that God gives to us. It's just wise to unplug at times. It's wise to pull away at times. 
It's wise to spend time alone, disconnecting from the loud voices of this world, seeking God alone, daily, even powerfully. Verse 2, it says, but in the early in the morning now, why was he alone with the Father? Because he had a long day ahead of him. He needed to be prayed up for what was up ahead, just like you and I. Early in the morning, he comes back into the temple area. It's a large courtyard area where many, many people are there. And all the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. Don't miss the primary way that Jesus spent his time with others was teaching. Jesus was a teacher. He still is teaching us today. And in order for Jesus to be a good teacher, he needs to have those that are willing to learn. Now, in the end of Matthew chapter 28, the Bible tells us that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're to make disciples. Now, that word disciple literally means learner. And a learner is someone who receives information and then puts it into practice. It changes their lives, and then they act on that change. And we as disciples are following our teacher, Jesus. And in some way, we are tools in the hands of God to help each other grow. Where there are more mature among us, and we expect the more mature to take on those that are less mature, and we all grow up together. A learner, a disciple, someone who has dedicated themselves to learn and live out what they've been taught. And you know, a true disciple understands that it costs to learn. A true disciple then and now understands that there's a price to be paid. That your spiritual growth will be directly related to the amount of time and effort you put into it. If you really seek to learn and grow, the Holy Spirit will grow you and teach you. But, but it can't just be a hobby, this relationship with Jesus Christ. It can't be on another list of things that are as a hobby in your life. If you want to grow, you can grow. And if you want to grow fast, you can grow fast. But it will be directly related to the amount of effort. You've got to count the cost, church. This isn't just going to happen by itself. You've got to count the cost. I mean, Jesus would say in another place that even people that build houses count the cost. Even people that go to war count the cost ahead of time. They say somebody building a house, they count the cost to make sure they have everything that they need so that halfway through, they don't have an uncompleted house. Or someone in a much greater place of, of safety and security, somebody going to war, they're going to really plan it out and know that they have enough supplies and enough people. They're not just going to go into it you know, blindly and, and haphazardly. And that same picture is used. Listen, you've got to understand that to be a disciple is going to cost you. It's going to cost Jot it down in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus put it this way. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Discipleship is going to require a lot of self-denial. If you're unwilling to deny yourself, you will not grow as a follower of Jesus. You will not grow as his disciple. You will not grow. Your life will be marked with greater difficulty, greater hardship, greater consequences from sin. There's no way around it. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Much sacrifice, much devotion, much dedication brings much spiritual growth. You know, not much has changed today. To grow in God's grace, to grow in God's knowledge requires us to learn and dedicate ourselves through self-denial. Here we are studying, eager to receive, 
ready to learn, open to obey. You know, one commentator put it this way. It is possible to be a follower of Jesus without being a disciple, to be a camp follower without being a soldier to the king, to being a hanger-on in some great work without pulling one's weight. Once someone was talking to a great scholar about a younger man, and he said to the scholar, so-and-so tells me he was one of your students. And the teacher replied, he may have attended my lectures, but he was not one of my students. I mean, think about that. Yeah, he might have been in class, but he wasn't really here to learn. He, he might have showed up in the physical building, but he really wasn't a learner. I, I see such a great comparison to church, if you want, if you will. Church, this building, where it is possible for you to be here and not be a disciple. It's possible for you to invest an hour and a half of your time and not really take it seriously. It's possible for you to, to have maybe a desire, and your desire is met by being in a building, but really not taking things seriously. You, you're not living life in, in the light right now. You're not living life seriously. You're not taking the things of God seriously. You're not raising your kids the ways of the Lord. You're not giving a... De- I mean, it's very possible. Please, please take the warning. Don't let someday, hey, I heard uh, so-and-so goes to your church. You know what? They might have gone to, gone to our church, but they really weren't a disciple. Yeah, I've seen them around, but they really haven't done anything for the kingdom. Their life hasn't really changed. I thought it was pretty powerful. You know, teaching is the primary way that we grow. Jesus spent a lot of time, we see it again, he taught them. He gathered a group and he taught them. Uh, in the broader scope of the church world, leadership of the church has a decision on how to oversee the church and how to approach the pulpit. And there are two primary, two predominant choices that are used today. Number one, many, will, many churches will use the pulpit as a preaching platform. Preaching. Preaching has its place. But preaching is a very narrow tool in God's toolbox to reach people. Preaching is for the unbeliever. The unbeliever needs to have the good news of the gospel proclaimed or preached to them. The good news that your sins can be forgiven. That no matter what you've done, God has sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. And if you admit your sin and recognize through humble repentance, exercising faith in the risen Savior who died and rose again for you, that today your sins can be forgiven. That's preaching. And that's important. That should be a part of every Bible study, preaching. But for a church that only gets preaching, you don't have a lot of maturity in that. that doesn't, maturity doesn't come through preaching. And what preaching does is just sort of remind you of the gospel for you as believers and so excited. You know, people in my family can be saved. I'm so happy I'm saved. But now what do I do? That's the primary ministry of teaching. Teaching's for the believer. Preaching is for the unbeliever. And so for us here at Calvary, we've made a decision years ago, and it's affirmed week after week. We've, we're committed to what is known as expository teaching. That is the primary method of learning that we have here with many opportunities to obey and grow. We teach. We teach expositorily. You say, Ed, what does that word mean? Well, it's very simple. Expository teaching is going through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and book by book, so that one day, perhaps I'll have the privilege of standing before you as a congregation and saying this, I'm not shunned to give you the whole counsel of God. That way you get all the topics of the Bible in their context. It it prevents, when you teach through the Bible that way, it prevents the pastor from really emphasizing the same thing every single week, but rather allowing the Bible to speak in its context. We believe here the whole Bible for the whole believer. 
We believe the whole Bible from beginning to end speaks of the glorious gift of Messiah, of Jesus Christ, on every page throughout the Scripture from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Expository teaching. That's why some of you are here. Maybe you visited the church, you know, six months ago. And where were we six months ago on a Sunday? I think we were somewhere in the Gospel of John early on. So there you were. You were in the Gospel of John, and we went through a Bible study, and you, you enjoyed your visit. And, and now here you are back six months, and you're like, well, what is the new series going to be? What's the new topic going to be? And there I am. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. John? We're in John, and he's only in chapter 8? Are you kidding me? There's 21 chapters in this book. Why is he? When are you going to finish, Pastor? When are you going to finish John and get on to something new? Great question. Number one, I have no idea when we're going to finish. I really don't. I'm a couple weeks ahead. I mean, now I'm not so much anymore. Um, I used to be a couple weeks ahead, but I don't know. I don't know when we're going to finish. Because there are times when we're just going to have to tackle one topic. Or a couple verses. We just can't skip over it. It's just so needed. Like today is one of those days. But I can say, and I can answer you, when are we going to finish the Gospel of John? I can answer that in a different way. We're going to finish the Gospel of John when we finish. And you'll know the date when I know the dates. And then when we're done with the Gospel of John on, on our weekend services, I kind of pray about what book we're going to and, and what's next. And I don't quite know. I don't know. Maybe the rapture will take place and we don't need to worry about it. We'll be in the presence of the Lord. We'll be with him. But expository teaching is what's going to grow you. That's why uh, being in a church like this, it's really good for you to regularly take notes. You'll have your own commentary on, on the books that we go through. I think we've gone through almost 30 books of the Bible together. So if you have a Bible question, I say just go to the website. We taught on that. Uh, that's, there's the answer. We've taught our perspective and what that scripture means. And you can catch up on the web or on the, on the app on your phone or your tablet. We believe in teaching. Why? Because Jesus' primary ministry was teaching. This is Abounding Grace with our Bible teacher and pastor, Ed Taylor. To give this study in the Gospel of John a second listen, just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through the Calvary Church app. You can search for Ed Taylor to download that today. You know, it's one thing to get married and a whole other matter to stay that way. And today we'd like to recommend a book written by Steve Carr called Married and How to Stay That Way. It contains a wealth of practical solutions all based in the Bible, written in a counseling style with practical encouragements from start to finish. It even includes discussion questions at the end of each chapter and a study guide. It's a great book to go through with your spouse or in a small group Bible study. And we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And thank you for remembering us in your prayers and your giving to the Lord. Your gift, whatever the size, will serve to help us reach thousands with the message of Christ. Reach us toll free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, that's 877-30-GRACE. You can also request this and other resources online at calvaryco.store. If you just like to make a donation and you're not interested in the pick of the month, you can just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Connect with us through social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. There's a link to each page at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Hey, Pastor Ed, our annual Refresh Conference is coming up in October, and I understand registration is now open? Yes, Larry, registration is open now for our annual Refresh Conference. It's going to be here at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, October 6th, 7th, and 8th. 
and it's a conference that's really not a conference, but it is a conference, and it's open to all ministry leaders. And you're like, what? Well, you know, we do have Bible studies, and we do have passionate worship, uh, but we also have a lot of fun together, and the intent of gathering is that you might be refreshed and strengthened and encouraged, that, that you might know how valued you are, how important you are to the body of Christ, especially in these last days. So Refresh is open to all ministry servants and even those that want to serve. So whether you're a pastor teacher, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, whether you're a husband, a wife, uh, whether you're young or old, we want you to come out. All the information is available on our website. You can make plans to join us and register online at calvaryco.church. We want you here. You can come. We have people coming from all around the country. It's becoming something so encouraging, so exciting, and we are already getting ready for you, already praying for you, and we want you to come. So plan on being here October 6, 7, 8. That's October 6th through the 8th at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. Make plans to join us and register online at calvaryco.church. Another study in the Gospel of John coming up next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.